0: I'd like to give a short review because we haven't been here in a long time. It's not going to be a a, a very long time, but I'm I'm going to even ask Brian to put up the churches again and where they're located there off of the Mediterranean Sea, just north of Crete. yeah, Patmos. Patmos is the island that John was on when Jesus gave him the revelation. He was writing it there. Uh, I remember the guide who was taking us through the little tour there. He says, yeah, and Jesus was standing. I mean, John was standing here and writing and you weren't there, how would you know where he was standing? But that, that's what guides are supposed to do. So uh, he was doing that, but nevertheless, uh, if people call it a rock. It, it is, but if you like the ocean, you got a lot of it because you look around and that's all you see. So if you want to get uh, left on a, a bad rock or on a rock in the middle of the ocean, that's a good place to be left. These messages that John is writing are to the seven churches in Turkey. That's Turkey today where you see Asia Minor. Uh, That's Turkey. We landed when we went there in Ephesus or Izmir uh, uh, as a uh, Turkish town is called. And we then, that's all we did is look at that city. And from what I understand, there's not much to see in the others. So that's my tour of Turkey. And um, those churches were used. They were used by the Lord Jesus Christ to give us a picture You see, the picture is of what the church looks like today. If you go to a church in another part of the country or another part of the city, you'll see a picture of whether it be Pergamum or Thyatira or Sardis or Smyrna or Ephesus or Philadelphia or Laodicea. You'll see a picture of that there. And these writings are to shake those churches up, to let them know judgment is coming. And folks, it's coming for us as well. We have coming that that uh, uh, that we may have to account for. If nothing else, we account for the good and the bad. But there's still, for some of us, that don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ that could be coming to Grace Community Church. Um, that can happen as well. So these are pictures. These are warnings to the seven churches. And, and John is being um, encouraged by Jesus to articulate this to the churches. Um, and again, these are modern churches. Um, and and I, I believe the modern churches that are here today are of the same fiber that those churches were, that the churches that we're looking at and been looking at. These warnings find their complete birth, and you need to understand this. The warnings that he has for these seven churches find their complete birth and their actuality in the staggering events that happen in chapters 4 through 19. When we get to chapters 4 through 19, if we get there, okay, that's where you're going to see the the warnings. Not only just take, take a highlight, but there's going to be an intense light shown on the things that are happening there. And there'll be people that uh, should be repenting. They should know that. I want you to know I, I'm being convinced as I continue to study that maybe I should continue to do the rest of Revelation. I'm I'm still working on it. As you heard, I just may have even given it away. My heart is almost convinced. Almost. Almost. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. You can can shut that off. By the way, Crete is a very beautiful island. (laughs) Revelation 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it the time is near. Folks, this is not when you want to listen to it. This is not listen to it when it's convenient for you. This is to listen to it all the time. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the warning that's given to these seven churches and, in essence, given to us, modern day church. As he says there, blessed is he who reads it. I, I, I keep reading it. I've been reading it over and over and over again. And here's the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. You see, Jesus doesn't ever give us a command and then say, yeah, if you feel like it. You know, if it's a good day, why don't you try this out? No, do it. You know, as he does in, uh, through Paul in Philippians 4.9, the things you have learned and heard and seen in me, do these things, and so we see those kinds of, of of passages over and over and over and over again. They have to be coming at us, and 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 be, have a staggering effect on our mind and our heart. Why am I not doing what God has called me to do? And so, as a way of review, the church at Ephesus, okay, is warned that they have lost their first love, that they have lost their first love. They left it. What is the answer to them? Jesus tells them, repent, repent, if you've lost your first love. Remember how as exciting it was when you got saved? Oh, I-, I couldn't I couldn't stop telling people. That's what happens when you get saved. But what happens after a while it begins to diminish. He says, don't lose your first love. The church at Smyrna is told that they will be tested. Revelation 2.10, they're emphatically told, be faithful, and this is in be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, because a lot of people, when the persecution begins to come, when the real hard times begin to come, they begin to abandon the faith. Jesus hasn't helped me out. Jesus is not my friend anymore. God doesn't love me, they begin to say. No, you say that even when it hurts. Even when it's not feeling good. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what life is, folks. So in Smyrna there, he says, be faithful until the end and I will give you the crown of life. The church of Pergamum is instructed they are allowed false teachers into their midst. Remember how important that is to keep the false teachers out of your midst. And in 2.16, he says this, repent or else, I am coming to you quickly. And folks, it is so easy for a false teacher to get into your midst. You don't even understand how easy that is for them to do that. If they're erudite, if they know what to say, if they know the Bible somewhat, they get into a Bible study, then all of a sudden they're into a fellowship group, then maybe even the fellowship group they get to teach, all kinds of things. And, and, and before you know it, they're out there, and then they start to spin their wee, their web. And before you know it, you've got... Stuff that's really not good for the church. And so that's what happened there in Pergamon. Uh, I told you I'd be the Pergamon altar. When I got there, the altar was under repair. Oh, Germany. Germany, Germany. The church at Thyatira let the the woman Jezebel. She's a, a representative of immorality. They let her teach now, I'm, I'm going to think maybe even just women's ministries, but maybe they would let her even teach in the whole church. I'm not sure. And Jesus calls them to repent immediately. Repent. The church at Sardis is where Jesus tells them to wake up. Wake up. You're just lulling around. You're, you're just letting go, go through life without anything. He says this. He says, otherwise you're coming to judgment. Otherwise you're coming to judgment. Wake up. Folks, even in my travels and, and going to some of these churches in some of these areas, I can remember years ago going to Atlanta area and, and a buddy down there who I was going to preach for and I was teaching the church for, I don't know, two or three nights. And I, I we're passing different churches along the way and, he, and I said, so is the gospel preached there. I must have heard no 25 times. No, 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 no. And, and that's scary for me because... All of those people in that church think they're Christ's. They think they're Christ's because they go to church on Sunday. That somehow going to church cleanses them. You know, as a Roman Catholic, I thought going to confession on Saturday night cleansed me. I used to complain to the priest. Can we change confession to Sunday? Because I always go out on Saturday night. (laughs) Folks, it is a... When you try to manipulate God, you're 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 in you're in trouble. The Church of Sardis, they're going to come under judgment. Those are the churches. These are the churches that we have already visited. They teach us something, and they teach us a lesson. They teach these churches a lesson that they needed to awaken and that they needed to repent of their sins. Now, the church of today, Philadelphia. We will start in chapter three, verse seven. And this is what Jesus has to say to them and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word. And I have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am quick I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Verse twelve, He who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, it's interesting. He plays that same tune over and over and over again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, folks, we have uh, so far, as we've gone through the churches, laid out a a sort of an outline using characteristics or elements of what Jesus is saying there. These are distinctives if we want to put them in that kind of way. It's a a formula of of trying to give you um, an outline that you can go along with. I know some of you actually keep the notes, and that's good. But the first characteristic that we have here, or the first element that we have here, is found in verse 7. And it says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And I'm not talking about Pennsylvania. Seems simple. The city that one brother gave to another. That's how it got named, Philadelphia. One brother gave it to his other brother. And he did it out of his love for his brother. I thought that was kind of neat. This particular word, Philadelphia, is used six times outside of Revelation. Does anybody Remember? Where it's used? Yeah, Philadelphia is used six times outside of Revelation. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Let's look at it. It's not what you think. It's the same word, but it doesn't refer to a city. Romans twelve ten. it says this. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the same word used just differently in the sense that it's brotherly love. Let's look at Hebrews 13.1. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want to highlight some of them. But Hebrews 13.1 is very quick, very easy. And in 13.1 it says this, let love of the brethren continue. It's about loving the brethren. That's what Philadelphia is noted for. It's a, it's a church of love. Folks, that's outstanding if you're known for that. Remember, what does God give you as a command? Love the Lord Jesus Christ with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor, love others. And so they're known for keeping the second commandment. That's pretty good for me. That's pretty good for me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says this, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. It's used twice there. Philadelphia, Philadelphia is what's used there. Actually, it's used twice in Second Peter, but it's still used there. The Philadelphia you're looking at today is located in a place, this is the Revelation Philadelphia that we're looking at, where there was very active volcanoes, very active earthquakes. that was there. It's almost contrary, you would say, shouldn't it be a a place of peace and quiet? You know, like the San Fernando Valley. No, We only have earthquakes and hurricanes at the same time. It's almost contrary that you would think a, a city of brotherly love would have regular seismic activity. But that's what it did. Earthquakes were normal. But listen to this, folks, even more importantly, but dependence on the Savior was as well. That was normal. Always there. There was a large, very large earthquake in 17 AD. It leveled 12 cities in that area. We saw some of the city's names up there before. But it leveled 12 cities in that area, including Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, they lived in tents for weeks and months and, because they were afraid to uh, go back in their homes and have the rocks falling down on them, the bricks falling in on them. But through all of that, through all of that, the city was known for its faithfulness, faithfulness to the, to the truth of God's Word. They remained faithful in all of their trials the Philadelphia that is being written to is probably the strongest church spiritually among all of the seven churches. This is the one that's strongest spiritually. This church has an incredible outlook. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's an outlook. It's wanting to see the coming of Christ. And so they're living for the coming of Christ. They're living as if Christ is coming every day. They're living this way as if it's missions week every week. You know, giving to missions and sending to people on missions, all of those kinds of things. That's what they do. That's what they're known for. They were looking for the salvation of others. And they were tireless in in this. And and they were always presenting the gospel to the lost. It is probably the poorest, though. This city was the poorest. While the faithful... While genuine, while real, it was the poorest financially of the seven churches, but it was rich in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what's important. That's what's important. Faithfulness is not measured by how much you have, but by how much you do for the kingdom of God. I just want to go for a minute. And By the way, I thought of this before I listened to my son-in-law preach this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I preached this a few months ago when we were doing the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I, I just, this fits so well for this. Yeah, Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and moth, mm-hmm, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we see from this small city, not having much in the way of finances, they were always sending their treasures forward. And it's not because they had a bank account in heaven, but they had an account with God. And they knew that God was going to have an account with them. And so that's what they did. It doesn't matter how much you give. It matters why you give. You give from a heart that's cheerful. Those kinds of things. You see, the Lord gives this church commendation after commendation after commendation. Why? Because they are faithfully carrying out the gospel. They care about the lives of other people You know, I I get into certain situations. I I remember being in Japan uh, with Suji Kondo, and we're up on the fourth floor of a coffee shop. It's a four-story coffee shop, believe it or not. And uh, I wanted the fourth story because it didn't have smokers up there. (laughs) So we went up there, and I'm looking at all these people running around in Seoul, Korea, and I'm wondering, are they saved? Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, I would go down on the street and talk, start talk, telling about, but they spoke Korean, and, I, and that's un poquito. And so, <laughs> folks, I, I see those, those souls, those hearts. Matter of fact, even in Seoul, Korea, I was with the folks that I was with there, and they had this big monument of a church, and I said, What goes on there? And they said, Nothing. Are you serious? I told me what educational background the pastor of the church had. And I said, now I know why. Nothing is going on there. It's sad that you want to have people giving to that. And it's nothing. The city of Philadelphia was founded somewhere around 150 B.C. Making this the youngest of all of the cities that we're looking at. The youngest of the cities that we're looking at uh, of the apocalypse. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 3.8, it says, you have a little power. And, And Jesus is even reminding them, all you have is a little. And folks, I want to use that as just the word of encouragement. It's not how big your ministry is. It's what do you do with your ministry, whatever that is. Just a little power. That's what Jesus is looking at. It was located on a major trade route that is Philadelphia was. It was situated in this lush valley valley. It was lush because of the volcanic, acti- volcanic activity. So that's the, the first uh, element there. The first characteristic is the, the address or the place that we're talking about. The second characteristic or element is the attribute. We see that in in, uh, verse 3, verse 7. We said, he, uh, 7b, he who is holy, who is true, who who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this. So far, in our studies up to this point, we've looked at uh, um, five churches and all the time when we're looking at those five churches, Jesus goes back and refers to something that was said in chapter 1 about churches. And He uses that as being an element of how, who He is, uh, of what His attributes are. Here, this church, it's different. He takes something from other places and brings that in. The descriptions that He uses to describe Himself come from other areas, not from chapter 1. So... Here's a, some of the things from the other churches uh, he used. One holding the churches in his right hand, remember that. Or one that is risen to take authority, that's a description of Jesus. The one who has a two-edged sword, the one who has flaming eyes and, and feet of polished brass. He uses those things, but those are things that are contained within chapter 1. And now he's going to outside of those. The titles, the attributes that are being used now are found in other places within The Bible. Let's look at 3 7. Who is holy? That's the first thing. Who is holy? Jesus declaring that he is the Holy One. Friends, this title for the Messiah is coming, is the coming one. We see it in Mark chapter 1. Why don't you turn there with me? Mark chapter 1. I think this is an interesting kind of situation. Mark chapter 1, verse 20 and we see in Mark 1 it says saying what business do you have with each other Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God who's recognizing Jesus as the Holy One of God there demons are recognizing him as the Holy One of God now turn with me to Luke four thirty four. Luke 4.34. Luke 4.34, and it says there, Let us alone. What business do you have with each each of us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, the demons recognizing who he is and saying, Leave us alone. But now let's look at John 6, 69. Look at John 6, 69. And it says there, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. (laughs) Folks, whether you're a demon or a disciple, you know who the Holy One of God is. Do you know those who are living on this planet right now are still going to be held accountable for knowing that, for knowing that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And you say, but how can they be held accountable? Nobody's even told them about it. Yes, they've seen the holiness of God within, okay, the creation. All of those things, there's another way of knowing God there, and that points them to God. Now, sign from demons to disciples they recognize the Holy One. Want to know something else that's even more extraordinary? God the Father is also known as the Holy One. So that puts Jesus and God equal. There's, there's no subservience there, but we see that right there in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Revelation chap, chapter 4, verse 8. Revelation 4, 8, and it says there, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings uh, full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, listen to this, this is beautiful, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They recognize the holiness of God. Folks, I don't know if the concept of seeing something completely, thoroughly holy means that you would be something that's unblemished, completely, thoroughly unblemished. There's nothing wrong with this. It's holy. I can't even think of what that could be. But that's who God is. Revelation 6.10 also speaks of God's holiness. And it says there in Revelation 6.10, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, I know that's during the tribulation, folks. I want you to know that's my prayer. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? I I sit in my chair when I'm praying, and I'm saying, How long? Do we keep up with this corruption? How long do we keep up with this sin? I actually, I, the, the other day I was saying, this has got to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's got to be. What is it that we need to do? Well, there's nothing we can do. I understand that. But that's what I cry out. Isaiah 40. I want to make sure you get some Old Testament flavor in here. Isaiah 40, verse 25, Isaiah says this, to whom will you liken me, that's God, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. He says it of himself, he's the Holy One. There's no way that I could ever say that. You know, folks, just to harken back to when I was in the Catholic Church, I was an altar boy, believe it or not. I don't know how they ever let me in. But everything about that whole priestly thing was always about holy, that they they couldn't touch this, they couldn't touch that, and the water was holy, and this, and all of that stuff. And I'm going, are you serious? They were corrupt to the core. But this is different. This is God Almighty, the Holy One, Hagios is a, in the Greek is the word that's used there, meaning the Holy One, the sinless One. The only God and Father of our Son Jesus Christ carried that name. But I want to remind you of something. Peter, the apostle, says this, you be Hagios, you be holy, for I am not speaking himself, he's speaking of Jesus saying that. See, that's what he calls us to. That, that's why when I have some people that I know saying it's not a big deal, grace will cover it, grace will cover it. I'm sorry, folks. I, 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 that's what I see in my scriptures. God calls us to holiness. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I want you to know something. I know you don't believe it, but I'm a sinner too you know that but that's what God has called me to is that kind of holiness and my heart wrestles with those things back and forth because I think that's what it's supposed to do I can't be lackadaisical and easy in my sin oh, it's not a big deal I, mean, I get these folks they keep in coming in the next week the next week and, and I tell them look I'm not a Catholic priest where you're telling me your confession you need to change. And if you think I'm too demanding, well, we got another pastor around here that he will call you to the same thing. But that's the way it's supposed to be, folks, battling that sin. And, and again, I know it's not going to be perfect. And even on uh, Tuesday night, I use the, the line that uh, goes up, you know, hopefully that you're growing in your um, uh, your sanctification. So the first attribute is, that you're holy. The second attribute is He is true. He is true. There is nothing, nothing at all that is false about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a thing is false. He's perfect. He is true. Now, I unfortunately wasn't here last week. I had to go up and um, meet with somebody in my office because I'm trying to catch up on all the things that I've left behind. And I wasn't here, but my wife gave me a little bit of an idea with what, what Pastor Carl had said, that when Jesus speaks, he doesn't have to look at his notes. He doesn't have to correct his notes when he's preaching. But if you see my notes, I've got marking on it here and there. And, and whenever I see any preacher's notes, that's what I say over and over again. They, oh, this is a better way. And they cross something out and they do this. You don't even see it during the week, what I do. Jesus never has to do that because he's perfect. Every single time. 1 John 5.20. Listen to this. 1 John 5.20. And it says there, And we will know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. You're told lots of stuff during the day. You're told lots of stuff on on news programs and and, uh, water cooler hours with your buddies at work and all kinds of things. You read this conspiracy theory and that. This is true. I know it. From the moment I got saved till now, I said to myself, "If I find something wrong, then none of it's right. This is true. My God is true. Now, as I was thinking through this particular aspect, this particular attribute, I thought about modern-day Philadelphia. If you've never been there, it's a not unlike other modern-day cities. Recently, I was watching a video of the streets of Philadelphia, specifically of this street called Kensington, and some of you may have seen the video. This is where drug users are languishing in the streets, falling on their faces in drug stupor. When Jesus is called true, it means he's genuine, real. But the people of today are looking for the unreal, the fantasy. They want to relieve themselves through that fantasy with mind-altering, not genuine, completer, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to, to witness to those people. I've tried it. It's hard to speak to them because their mind is somewhere else. Jesus is the genuine path to salvation. Not some escape into mindless drug intoxication. Folks, let's take it to something less horrific than drug intoxication. Let's take it to something else that distracts us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Put that in there. That has to be eliminated because He has to be your all in all. He is true, He's a genuine path. He's the trustworthy path, not the news that you listen to. And, and a lot of that is getting uglier and uglier. You see, Jesus Christ is the real satisfaction to life. Not all the things that try to allure us away from the gospel of salvation. Humanity is known to run after so many things. Money, sex, drugs, alcohol, entertainment. But they never satisfy Never, ever. Only the genuine, real, true promise of the King of Kings satisfies. The first attribute is He is holy. The second attribute is He is true. And now, who has the key of David? Jesus Christ is the only true, only holy, true Messiah that has the key of David. He is able to open the door so that so what is spoken of here is more of a Jewish entrance into the kingdom of God. Because it is talking about David, it's speaking about the Jewish entrance into the kingdom of God. And when I say that, I'm talking about all those Jews that were saved in the time of Jesus or right after the time of Jesus and, and the disciples' time, the apostles' time. There is no one else who has paved the way. But Jesus. That's how you find entrance. You have to know that He is the Lord of Lords. The remainder of saints have past were given the promise of the Messiah. All of those have found entrance because of what Jesus did in dying for their sins. The Old Testament tells us that God chose the Jews. We can go back to Deuteronomy if we had time. You know what we do? I'm gonna go back there anyway. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I, I love this. Um, I, I love Jewish people, and this is... Well, let's start in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. Isn't interesting? Seven. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and you shall uh, show them no favor. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. See, here's the warning that they were given back in Deuteronomy. They weren't supposed to intermarry and, and uh, Ezra has a whole living story that has a, a story for that. You shall not give your daughters to them. Let's go down to verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Folks, we have a privilege, okay, of being allowed to come in. See, God chose them. And I I had friends who are Jewish and I... I always ask them, why would he choose you? And I didn't mean you Jews. I meant that particular person because I knew them. <laughs> why would he do that? And then they come back at me and I said, well, he didn't choose you because you're not his yet. Because I knew how they lived. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because, verse 7, were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Remember, he says, That you have a power. He chose the smallest of nations. Folks, it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be John MacArthur. You have to be you. And you have to use your ministry the way you use your ministry to bless others. It it doesn't have to be something, you know, way, way up here. But do what you do in your homes in loving your children and loving your wives loving your husbands that's what you have as your ministry you do that you'll have a greater reward up there than a whole lot of other people got their names on all kinds of books stay faithful to that that's being true that's what's important God gave them the king to the kingdom, the key to the kingdom. But here Jesus is telling, letting everyone know, even if you're Jews in Philly, he gave them the key. He gave them the key. Since the Jews rejected Jesus, he now has the key. And he can give it to whomever he wants to give it to. The fourth description here, or attribute, and I want to get this one in before. We move on. The fourth description or attribute to the church at Philadelphia is he opens, who opens, and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. This is a picture, folks, of exclusive entrance. You you only get there because you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you through his blood. But in believing that, verse Matthew 7.21, you do the will of the Father. That's what it takes. Exclusive entrance. You see, when you die, Hebrews 9.27, you're going to stand before the king. You're going to have to give in an account. There's not going to be somebody there to plead your case, folks. You don't want your mother there. You probably don't want your husband there. You probably don't want your wife there. You probably don't want your children there. Jesus will be there. He'll either be your advocate or not. That's who's going to be standing with you. Isaiah 22. Don't need to turn there, but Isaiah 22. 22. Make it easy for you. Isaiah 22, 22. And it says this, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. He who opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Folks, the determination is done once. It's done once. Jesus Christ alone has absolute authority. He either gives admission to heaven or not. He has absolute authority over everything. Folks, do you know what you have authority over? Zero. Oh, you say, but what about my home? Thieves break in. Well, what about my spouse? Uh, They sometimes leave and sometimes are unfaithful and sometimes die even. Well, how about my children? Oh, they always leave. Even in your own heart, you don't have absolute authority. You know why? You know why? Because Jesus is your shield. He's the one who's there for you. Because leaving myself to myself, I'll get in trouble every single time. I need him. I need him. I want him to be there for me. If I rely on Bill Shannon, I will be in trouble. Now, I want to get back to one little thing that some of my scholars in the room will probably come up to me and ask me tomorrow morning in my office and spend a couple of hours there. Um, asking me these questions, you know those guys. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. They're going to say, well, Bill, why didn't you bring this up? Well, I am. (laughs) So that you can't bother me tomorrow morning. (laughs) Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. What does it say here, Matthew 16, verse 16? It says... Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. I will say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys, what? To the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be Bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You go, what Billy, it's not Jesus, it's the and whoever else comes after them. Folks, this is a description of church discipline, the beginnings of church discipline, the opportunity for the leaders in the church to be able to determine whether somebody is walking in holiness in the Lord. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've tried to work with people, giving them the idea. The authority that I have, that's the only place that there's any authority, is for me to look at a life and say, there's something wrong here. It needs to change. There needs to be repentance. And if there isn't, then Matthew 18, 15 tells me I need to confront them. And if they repent, I've won my brother. If they don't, then I go and I bring somebody else. Matter of fact, this afternoon tonight, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to bring somebody else. And then if they re- don't repent, then we have to go and bring it to the elders. That's what happens, folks. This is the passing on of the ability to do church discipline. It's not the kingdom of heaven. They were granted this power but it's inside the church power not outside the church. I can't walk down the street and say, "Oh, you're condemned, you're going to hell." I mean, I may think that, but God who knows, he may save them. I would hope he would. I would hope he would. Throughout this explanation today, you've sensed this Jewish background to all that we're doing here. Why look at go back to Revelation? I hope that answers that question, so we spend less time in my office tomorrow. Revelation 3, verse 9. And it says there, 3 9, because we're not going to look at the whole context, but in 3 9 it says this Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan. The Jewish background to this letter to the church of Philadelphia. Is for what's happening in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is populated by lots of Jewish people. Those Jewish people that are holding fast to the Old Testament calling telling the authorities that these people that are New Testament believers are not Jews and they shouldn't be doing business with them and they, they need to be kicked out of the synagogue. The synagogue of Satan is what he calls it because that's what it is is not holding to the truth. And so that's the background and the Jewish people is really what what Jesus is writing to here. They are found to be the most faithful of witnesses because not only are they kicked out of the synagogue but they're kicked out of business. Jewish people always do a lot of business. Uh, 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 My background is the first company I ever worked for was Cohen Hallmarks. It was a Jewish textile company. When I became one of their salesmen, they called me the Token Going because I was the only guy who was a, a, a salesman in this Jewish company. And, and I loved being around these Jewish people. They were so, so wonderful to be around. But if you got on their wrong side, those were the worst people to be around. So the flavor is of Old Testament prophecy so Jesus is using the pictures here to give them an encouragement to continue to walk with Jesus. That's why the the, the key to the kingdom of David. That's why he did that. And folks, I really shouldn't go on because I'd be using up my time that I don't have. I hope we've gotten some of it of, of questions taken care of there. But we've looked at the address. We've looked at the attributes. We were going to look at the approbation. We were going to look at some other things, but um, unfortunately, we didn't get there. Let me pray for you. But first of all, I want to pray for Winston, okay? Winston's first day here. He needs to sign up and get on the attendance sheet. No. (laughs) And and you need to make sure you keep signing up on the attendance sheet. Um, But Winston, um, uh, and I know there are some other issues going on in here, and uh, we'll be praying for them as well. Father, it's always wonderful to see new life. Lord God, we know continuing to work out is a perfect plan. Lord, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians 2.13, Lord God, work in our hearts. Continue to make us complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. Continue to change our hearts, Lord to love you completely and thoroughly and fully. There's so much more work that needs to be done. Lord God, help us to be your people, to be your representatives on this earth so that more people would be attracted to holiness and truth. Lord God, thank you for this word, and we thank you for this blessing in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.